Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I want to carry on what we've been doing the last few weeks, which is thinking about the Kingdom of Heaven. And the Kingdom of Heaven was the the topic more than any other that when Jesus was teaching, he would be talking about. And we've been, over this term, trying to dig into, well, what is the Kingdom? How does the Kingdom work? Basically, there's a picture of a pub. Imagine a pub, right? We've got two pictures. We've got the inside of a pub. We've got the outside of a pub here. And on the outside of the pub, it says Eagle and Child. And this is a pub that's in Oxford. Maybe if you've ever been for a tour of Oxford, you might have been taken past it. This is a pub, probably the thing it's best known for is a group of people who used to meet there a few decades ago who called themselves the Inklings. These were people who were mainly on staff at the university, different professors, lecturers in different disciplines. And they liked to write stories. They, they were into their creative writing and they'd turn up with these different stories that they'd written and they would read them to the rest of the group. They'd get feedback, they would develop them. Now, you might have heard of some of the people in this group. One of them was a guy called uh, John, most famously known as J.R.R. Tolkien. And he'd be bringing his stories uh, of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings and it would be a work in progress before he published them. Another guy, Clive, known as C.S. Lewis, would be bringing his Narnia stories Along. And these stories that have impacted millions and millions of people were all kind of workshopped in this little group in this little pub in Oxford. Now, imagine you were in the pub one of those days. They met on Tuesday lunchtimes. Maybe uh, you've got like a lunch meeting with someone in there. And you see over in the corner by the fire, this group of old professors reading stories, handwritten off scraps of paper. What would you think? I guess you probably wouldn't pay much attention to it. I guess you'd probably just think, okay, they're doing their thing, but there's nothing remarkable going on in the pub this morning. Even if you caught a couple of lines, oh, that's kind of uh, an impressively written thing. You wouldn't think that what was happening there in the room that you were in was going to impact the world over the next 100 years. And yet it did. It was small, it was potentially overlooked, it seemed little, it seemed insignificant, and yet the impact of it was magnified. What we're going to see this morning is that the kingdom of heaven is a lot like that. And Jesus taught about the kingdom using stories, parables, and we're going to look at five of them today, because some of them were big, some of them were tiny, they were like one sentence, the kingdom is like this, the kingdom is like that. We're going to pick up some of the little threads about what the kingdom is like today, and we're going to do it in pairs, so we'll look at the first two, then we'll look at the next two, and then we'll look at the fifth one on its own. So, if you've got a Bible, Matthew 13 is where we will find these, and The trick with parables is you need to think about them. You need to just let them chew over in your head and ponder on them a bit and let them draw out some questions, some hunger in your spirit. So, first one we find in verses 31 and 32. He put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds. 
But when it's grown, it's larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. So the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Let's mull over that. What's Jesus saying here about the kingdom of heaven? I think the first most obvious thing he's saying is it's small, it's titchy. He compares it to a mustard seed. And he says this is the smallest of all the seeds. Now, he wasn't trying to do a lecture in botanical science saying, of all the plant species in all the world, this is technically the smallest. He's speaking to Judean farmers and he said, look, of all the seeds you handle, the smallest one is the mustard seed. It's, it's tiny, like you could get loads of them in your hand at once. They tend to be between one and two millimetres in diameter, these mustard seeds. And yet they grow from this small thing they grow to something quite big. They grow uh, to something bigger than the other plants in the garden. It becomes like a tree. And a mustard tree tends to be somewhere between 3 feet and 12 feet tall. So that's the sort of scale he's talking. They tend to spread quite a bit. I don't know if we, uh, we've got the thing working. Let's see if there's a picture of a mustard tree. That's what a mustard tree would look like. So it would kind of spread. and To me, it looks more like a kind of shrub, really. Um, I was in a National Trust property a few days ago. I saw some big, impressive trees. A mustard tree wouldn't have the wow factor of some of those trees, but from the little seed that it was, it it's kind of grows more than it was. That's Jesus' story. Let's ponder that. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. He told another one, verse, 30, uh, verse 33. So he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Now, <clears throat> anyone can know about making bread? Anyone ever do that? A few nods? Right. I, I, I don't, but I've done some research. So I, I'm, I'm going to give you the fruit of my research, knowing that there are people in the room who know a lot more than I do. But apparently, if you're making bread, you need an ingredient called yeast to make it rise. Now, we would tend to go to the shop and get yeast. Back in the day, it wasn't as easy as that. So what they would do to get the kind of yeast leavened effect on the flour is they'd get a little bit of the old loaf of bread that already had the yeast, well, the old dough that already had the yeast and the leaven through it. And they'd put it in the middle of their new flour. And then it would just kind of spread. And the, the yeasty effect would go into this big amount of flour that they had. That's the way they did it. Back then, you just had to put it there and sit and watch. And over time, your new supply of flour for the next bread you're making would get leavened by this little bit of old that you put in the middle of it. Now, when we read the parable, Jesus said it's like three measures of flour. It probably washes over us how much flour that is. So let's kind of just convert it to modern measurements. He's talking somewhere between 25 and 30 kilograms of flour. So he's not envisaging you're making a loaf of bread for your tea. He's imagining you're making 100, 200 loaves of bread to feed the whole of your community. Imagine you're, you're catering for like a, a wedding feast for your whole community, town, village, and you're baking all the bread for it. Maybe you, your job is that you're a baker, so this is what you're baking every morning to sell. So you get a little bit of dough and you put it in these like 30 kilogram pile of flour and you just sit back, this tiny bit of dough in the middle of a mountain of flour, and you just wait. And what does it do? It works through it and it leavens everything. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven, it's a bit like that. Interesting, isn't it, as we think about the kingdom in these pictures. What, what's he saying? What's he trying to make us think by telling stories 
like this. I think Jesus is challenging us a bit. How do we expect God's kingdom to work? How do we think God's going to act in the world? What do we think he's going to do? I think for the first people hearing it, they'd have had expectation because they were living under Roman occupation. They were being taxed more than they could afford. Their property were being taken away. They were having to potentially sell themselves or relatives into slavery. They were under a hard yoke. And it's like the name of God was being trampled down. And they were expecting God to send a king and God's kingdom to come powerfully and spectacularly and political revolution and the Romans being thrown out and the king on the throne in Jerusalem, the temple established and earthly power to be cemented. That's what they expected. And into that, Jesus comes and says, it's more like this. It's more like a seed in the ground, tiny, and yet it grows and becomes something big. It's more like just uh, a woman putting a little bit of dough in a pile of flour and just sitting back and waiting and seeing the whole thing leavened. Jesus is saying this, God's kingdom comes in the small more than in the big. We're looking in the wrong place. God's kingdom comes slowly. It comes gradually. It's not just immediate and spectacular, wham, bam, there it is. It's often hidden. It's not prominent. Your eyes are in one place. You're expecting it there. It's the obvious place. And then God's at work over here in the margins doing something that no one's looking at. Think of the birth of Jesus. Everyone was looking to palaces, temples, Jerusalem. No one was looking to a little stable in Bethlehem. It comes in the small and the insignificant. God's kingdom is easy to miss. It's easy to ignore. It's easy to overlook. Yet the impact that it will have is incredible. The impact it has is massive, but we can miss it. I wonder, I just wonder, just go with me on this for a second. I wonder if we have a tendency, maybe like those first hearers, to long for the big, to long for the immediate and the spectacular, and to think that that's how God will work. I wonder if sometimes we do it when it comes to church, And what we expect, that we think, hey, if things got big, God's kingdom would come. If things got slick, God's kingdom would be here. If we could have a thousand people in the same room, things would be better and God would work more, wouldn't he? If we could have lighting rigs and make this thing look like a gig. If we could have spectacular music. If we could have world-class teaching. Then God would be at work. That would be God's kingdom coming because it would look good. It would draw eyes upon it. We can miss that God's kingdom comes in the small, in the hidden, in the little gritty things we do for one another. God's kingdom comes. Maybe it's the way we think about our leaders where we do this. Because we have our Christian versions of the celebrities that the world looks for. Like People look for who, who looks impressive. Who's got the standing and the stature? Let's look to those people. Let's give platforms to all the impressive people. And we do that. We have our famous worship leaders, famous pastors and preachers and prophets or whatever it is. And we all look to them and we're all like, wow, let's put them on a platform and on a pedestal. And they can bring in God's kingdom. Now, I think that's pretty dangerous for them. And we've seen a lot of uh, people who've been put in that place take spectacular tumbles. It's not good for the rest of us because we're kind of in the, the spectator role looking We completely miss. It's not about the one or two kind of generational, defined gifts that everyone 
looks at it's the priesthood of all believers. It's the body of Christ where every part is valuable and plays its role. I love what Tabiti Anyabwili said on this. He said, do you realise that our Lord's only platform on earth were the two beams of wood to which he was nailed and raised up? His platform was a cross. And he didn't go to the cross until his hour had come and his earthly life and ministry were to end. But platforms in this world are not about death and crosses. Platforms are about influence with man. Platforms are not about rejection, mocking, ridicule, and scandal. Platforms are about acceptability, accessibility, and respectability. But the cross of Christ ain't. How can we bear a cross and seek a platform at the same time? We think about it all wrong. The kingdom's like a seed. It's small. The kingdom's like the, the leaven hidden in the dough. It's hidden away. It's behind the scenes. It's in the margins. We can sometimes look for the big and spectacular when it comes to how we think about prayer. We can pray and then we can expect everything to be answered straight away. We want to see our spectacular miracle and if we don't get it, then we'll stop. Then we'll just say, well, that hasn't worked. Now, God in his mercy does sometimes answer prayers straight away and spectacularly. Often it's 20 years of going to him with the same request day after day after day after day and then finally seeing the breakthrough. We get this all wrong. Or when we think about evangelism, we think we're going to put on an evangelistic thing and we'll get massive fruit and then our city will be saved and then we can stop and all go home. It doesn't quite work like that. Now, occasionally God will bring revival and that's fantastic. A lot of the time it's smaller, it's more subtle, it's the little things. Someone asked me about what's our evangelism strategy and I've been mulling on it I've been thinking about this and I don't think the answer is that it's a big campaign it's a big thing that we do I think it's a thousand little things that we do I was reading a book this last week uh, that talked about how Christianity spread like wildfire in the Roman Empire in the days of the early church and it had the provocative title the patient ferment of the early church and it said the way things grew wasn't this big campaign it was a patient ferment. It was groups of Christians in every community living out the way of Jesus, living out the gospel, living transformed lives, serving their neighbours. And when they got the opportunity to give a reason for the hope that they had, they did so. They were willing to share. The kingdom comes in our evangelism through those snatched conversations over the back fence with our neighbour where they're going through a hard time and we offer to pray with them. Where in our workplace, there's just that little opportunity to drop in something about Jesus. Where there's an opportunity to invite a friend along to something. It's all of us in those little ways. That's the way it happens. When we think about our discipleship, we expect the big. Some of us love to make those dramatic proclamations. Yes, I'm going to sort my spiritual life out now. I've decided what I'm going to do is this. And I'm going to do it every day. And we make that big decision. Yet the reality of it is the transformation happens in the small decisions that then we get up the next morning. It's like, yeah, that thing, I'm actually going to do it today. Uh, and the next day, yeah, I'm going to lay myself down in this way. I'm going to humble myself in this way. I'm going to serve that pe person in that way. Day after day after day after day after day, making the little choices. That's the kingdom of heaven. 
I was reading that passage about the armour of God recently, you know, in Ephesians 6, that talks about spiritual battle and spiritual warfare. And you'd expect, we have this spiritual battle, so let's come up with all these huge, like, ghost-busting exorcism techniques. Let's learn it in the big. But how do we fight the battle? Well, it's the belt of truth. It means we, we, we tell the truth and we don't lie. It's the shield of faith. We believe the promises of Scripture. It's the helmet of salvation. It's just reflecting on the gospel and what we've been given in Christ. It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's reading our Bibles. These are little things, but it's in the little things that the battle is won. So this teaching on the kingdom, it really confounds our thinking, doesn't it? Because if we're the sort of person who's massively optimistic and we think, right, in the next six months, we're going to do these things and everything's going to get changed, the kingdom confounds that optimism. It's, It's in the small, it's in the little, it's in the hidden. And it completely confounds our pessimism as well. Because that little, when we look at it, we think, oh, that's nothing. There's Nothing's going to happen. No, it will grow. It will spread to the whole leaven. It will grow into a tree bigger than any in the garden. It's fascinating. It's an encouragement. Whenever you feel small or insignificant, be encouraged by this, that the kingdom is in the small and the insignificant. Someone was telling me that they felt like they were the, the only Christian in their space. And you might feel like that in your family, in your workplace. Like you're the only one who believes. And you feel, what difference could I make? The kingdom comes through the small and the insignificant. Remember when you try and share your faith, you stumble over your words. And then all the rest of the day, you've got that figure in your head. Oh, yeah, that's what I should have said. Oh, yeah, I definitely should have put it that way. But in the moment, it didn't come to you. God works through the small and the the try your best and it doesn't quite come off as you'd want it to. Maybe you feel your life is made up of stuff that's just so mundane. You're doing the same things over and over and over again, whether that's in your workplace. Maybe you're a new parent. You know what it's like to be doing little things over and over and over. The kingdom comes in that. It's like a mustard seed. It's like leaven in the dough. Let's read a couple more of these little stories that Jesus told uh, verse 44 the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up then in his joy he goes and sells all he has and he buys that field and then verse 45 same story again basically again the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all he had and bought it. I've got a story a bit like that as well. When I was at school, there was a guy in the year below me who'd seen a football that he wanted. It was a Mitre Delta Premier League football. Like it was the best football on the market. And he decided he wanted one. And he'd said to his parents, can I have one of those footballs? And his mum had said to him, yes, you can, and we'll pay half of the money that it costs, but you need to somehow get the other half of the money. And so this kid then was bringing his stuff into school every day. And he, he was saying, right, who wants to buy this off me? Like, so I managed to get another football off him. Not a mighty Delta Premier League, but still quite a decent one off him for 50p. Um, because he was trying to raise money for this football, he set his heart on. And he was willing to part with everything else he had to get it. That's like these stories that Jesus is telling But what's he getting at? What's Jesus doing in telling these stories? I I hear these stories talked about a lot. I see them written about a lot. I hear them mentioned a lot. And 
I think by and large, we get them wrong. I think we jump to a conclusion about them and we, we miss the point. I think what we tend to think is, is we read it and think, oh, well, it must be about me and what I've got to do. And so, okay, the, the treasure or the pearl, that's the kingdom. And the person in the story, well, that's obviously me. So it's all about how the kingdom's so valuable. I should sacrifice whatever it takes to get the kingdom. Now, I'm not denying that the kingdom is valuable, and I'm not denying it would be worth sacrificing anything for. That's true. Not quite what Jesus is saying. And that's the good thing about mulling on the parables. You see, these parables, they have things in common with some of the other stories that we've heard this week and in the weeks past. So one of the things that I noticed, the, the treasures hidden in the ground, this idea of something hidden or buried or in the ground, We've come across that before, haven't we? There's been the seed in the ground, or there's been the dough in the leaven. Something's hidden. We have a protagonist in the story who's either the one who puts the thing in to, to the ground or wherever it's hidden, or takes it out. And who's the protagonist in these stories who's doing that? It's not me. The parables aren't stories about what I need to do and what you need to do. The parables are a commentary on Jesus and what he was doing. And so when he's talking about someone burying something or unburying something, that's about him. That's about his mission, his ministry. He's the protagonist. So try the parable for size. There's treasure hidden in a field. A field in all these parables seems to be the world. There's something in, that's the sons of the kingdom. And who is it that makes the sacrifice? Who is it that's willing to give up everything in order to bring about the kingdom? Well, the gospel isn't that, yeah, there's the kingdom, it's good, so you need to pay a price for it. The gospel is the kingdom's amazing. Jesus is the one who's paid the price. He's the one who gave up all. He's the one who made the sacrifice for it. And the things in the ground that are incredible value to him, that he thought, I would give up everything for that, that's people. It's people like you and me. It's men and women who he wanted to bring into the kingdom. People who he loves and cherishes. Jackie Pullinger is someone who uh, worked in Hong Kong with a lot of drug addicts and sex workers and people at a real broken head. And often when they came to faith, she would share these parables with them. And she said this, I let them interpret the word of God to me. They know nothing about the Bible, but the Spirit shows them. I've read these parables now to hundreds of new converts over the years. I asked them who the man is and who the pearl is. 100% of the time, they respond this way. Oh, the precious pearl is me, and the man is Christ. So when you're broken, when you know you've got nothing to give, nothing to offer, nothing to sacrifice to get into God's kingdom, you see it, it's all about what he's given for you. Maybe when you think you've got something of your own that you can sacrifice and pay for it yourself, maybe it's harder to see. Jesus was willing to sacrifice everything for you, for the kingdom. So much of the time, I think, we struggle with questions of validation and worth and value and who am I? And yet these stories, they, they help because we see our worth and our value and validation in the fact that he was willing to give up everything for us. These stories point us to the cross where we see that he loves us so, so much. Let's read the last of the stories, verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. 
The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What jumps out as we read this? To me, it's interesting that there are two different bringings out. So the net goes into the sea. And again, think of the things in the sea, like the things in the ground or the things in the flowers. Something's been brought out from it. But what's brought out in the net seems to be a mixed bag. It's not all good. There's some good that's brought out. There's some bad that's brought out. And then right at the end of time, there's there's the fishermen separating out the good from the bad. You've got these two stages of separation. So what he's saying is as we look around now, what we see of the kingdom, the church, the Christian community, however we put it, it's not the final separated out version. It's this thing that's been brought out by the net. It will be a mixed bag. That's what the kingdom is like, which tells us something interesting. It tells us that what we see in the Christian community won't be perfect. It tells us that what we see now won't be the final, honed, polished, perfected version of the kingdom. It means when you look in the church, you'll see people who are flawed. It means you'll also see within the mix some who were never sincere about following Jesus. And I find this so, so helpful. I find this parable really helps me because I I know we instinctively want to think about ourselves and where we land. And let's talk about that in a minute. But I see so much. I hear stories. I hear the scandals. You've heard the same things, I'm sure. It will be on the news and, hey, this thing happened and people profess to be Christians and yet this thing went on. You hear the stories of abusive priests or prominent leaders who completely uh, are on the rob and stealing money or um, sexually um, misbehaving or whatever it might be. And also with people you encounter, you think you say you're a Christian and yet you're the most hateful, judgmental person I've met and it's so opposite to the teaching of Jesus. And I ask, what the heck is going on? And it bothers me and I don't like it. And I think, how how can this be? And yet at the same time, you see so much that's sincere and good and beautiful and kind and people who are praying for those who persecute them. People who are forgiving in the most horrendous things done to them and they're willing to forgive. People who are willing to serve and sacrifice and lay themselves down. People who are willing to start hospitals in in plague zones. And you read the history and you see both of these things. Last year I read a book, probably the best book I've read in a long time, that went through the whole history of the Christian church, bringing out both of these angles called bullies and saints and how they sit together. So how can it be that these two things, you see both of them mixed together? It's so helpful to see here in the teaching of Jesus that, well, this is how it is. This is how the kingdom is. The net has separated out, but hasn't fully separated out. It will be a mix. So yeah, let's examine ourselves. Let's make sure that in our hearts, we're sincerely going after Jesus. We're living out his teachings. But also when we hear these stories, yes, we should be grieved, but we shouldn't be surprised or despondent. This is what the New Testament led us to expect. So there's five stories there. These stories show us that God's kingdom is coming, that God's kingdom is at work. But it might not quite be like what we'd expect. Maybe when we think about God's kingdom, we'd picture something different, something grander. Maybe we'd picture that big tree at the National Trust property, not the little mustard shrub thing that Jesus 
picture, but the kingdom of heaven is like the mustard seed. It's, it's in the small. It's like the leaven in the dough. It's something that's hidden. It's something that's not seen as significant, and yet it's at work, and it's permeating, and it's growing. It's like the treasure in the field or the pearl that the merchant seeks that he'd give up everything for. It's the sacrifice of Jesus. It's like the net drawing out the good and the bad together in this age. And then in the age to come, we'll see that final separation. So I wonder, I wonder how these stories land with you. I wonder how the idea of this kind of kingdom as you hear about it, I wonder how it sits. I wonder how your heart receives it. I think for some of us here, it just won't land. You'll just hear it and you think, okay, fine. That was another sermon today. Great. We'll, we'll be going home soon. The parables do that. The parables draw some people in and they don't others. That's, that's how they work. For, for some, it might challenge your expectation a bit. For some, you might have been hardwired to think in terms of the big, in terms of the spectacular and the flashy and miss that God's at work in the small and the marginal. And if that's you, let, let it provoke you. Let it be something you mull on and let it give you new eyes to see where God's at work. For some of you, it's an encouragement. You know full well that God is in the small. You know full well that you feel small, that you don't feel like the big and the flashy is something you can identify with. But sometimes you ask, could God work through me? Could God work in my circumstances? They're so trivial. They're so menial. Let it be an encouragement. That's what the kingdom's like. The kingdom is in the small mustard seed. The kingdom's in the tiny. And God can work in you and in me.